coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and joining me today in the studio here in the heart of the Classic City is my coach, Charlie, who's here to help me out with the week four listener mailbag. Charlie, how was your rainy Athens weekend? It sucked. It was raining literally all weekend long. Yeah, I mean, we won. So that was yeah, that was fantastic. Actually, that made the entire weekend better, but... I know you and I are both training for the AFAF right now. How was running 12 miles for your training run in the rain? It only rained like a steady rain. And it wasn't pouring like three times and only for like five minutes at a time. I mean, I was soaking wet when I got home, but the wind would dry me off before it started raining again. But I was very cold on the car ride home. Well, yeah, because you came home probably at 530 in the morning. Cause... I mean, it was before eight o'clock. But I did have a good What picture. time did you start your run? Um, Like 5.50. 5.50? Yes. Voluntarily? I was awake, so yes. You didn't try to go back to sleep? I try. I was awake Are you insane? That. Like you just... Do you live awake. on a farm? Because you live in... You don't live on a farm, right? I've been to your place before. You're, there's nothing wrong with waking up. There's early. nothing wrong with it. I just don't understand the concept of voluntarily on the weekend as hard as you work. Because I know you work hard. I don't understand the concept of getting up that early. But... Good for you. You're better than me. You're better than me. Just I'll give up, you that. Up naturally early. You did get some great pictures though. You're mentioning you do that. You have some nice pictures. Yeah, if you guys hadn't checked that out, check out Charlie's Twitter. What is it? At Classic Charlie Three. At Classic Charlie Three. She got some awesome shots. I think one was the Sanford Stadium with the red lights on. What about five o'clock in the morning? Four thirty in the morning? I mean, I don't know what time it was. It was probably around. No, it was. It took me a while to get down there. So it was like after six. Oh, so you're calling yourself slow. No, I had to do a bunch of miles before I got oh, there. Oh, then you go down the way. Yeah. Okay, okay. Got it. it was your game day route, right? Yes. Okay, so you get by Sanford Stadium. Really nice shot. Get rid of that. I think it was one of the arches as well. Uh-huh. When it was still pitch black dark. Just yep. ever so slightly yep. lit. Just when I perfectly. left my house, I looked. At, I was driving down the street and I was like, is, is the world ending? Why is the sky red? And I was like, oh yeah, we have red lights. Duh. If I was up that early on a Saturday morning, voluntarily, without a reason, like to go to a football game, then... I would think the, the world would be in it because there would be no reason for me to be doing that. But God bless you. You're, you're a great American. Great American, Charlie. But anyway, as is always the case, you guys loaded us up with some awesome questions that we will get to in just a minute. But first, I do want to give a quick shout out to Ben H1989 for being the latest listener to very graciously take the time to write us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I know it doesn't take a long time to do these ratings and reviews, but if you guys are as busy as we are, then I know any time is precious, so we really do appreciate you guys taking any time out of your day to help us out there with a with a five star rating and review. And it really is; it's it's a huge help. And I really think that's one of the reasons that we're hitting record numbers for our podcast over the past couple of months. I think fans looking for good Georgia sports talk look at those ratings and reviews. I mean, think about it, guys. If you're looking for a new podcast and you're kind of just scrolling through, you're browsing. You guys look at the ratings and reviews, and I think listeners looking for good Georgia talk do the same thing. And so all of you that have supported us with all of that this summer, you've really made a difference for us, and we just cannot thank you enough for that. But let's keep them coming, guys. The more the merrier, right? But all right, we do have a lot of great questions to get to today, and we want to try to get to as many of them as we possibly can. We ran out of time last week, so we really do apologize if we left some of you guys off. We, we definitely did not want to do that, but we only have a certain amount of time to record 
got a lot of things going on. So we try to fit as many as we possibly can. And I did try to get to some of those that we didn't answer and answer those on, on social media for you guys. And I'll do the same thing this week. But hopefully, who knows? Maybe we can get through all of them this week. We'll see. I'll try to be a little more succinct in my responses, which is not exactly my forte, but I'm going to give it my best shot. All right, but Charlie, let's go ahead and get rolling. All right, first question is from Jessup. Through three weeks, are we the best defense in the country? Ooh, coming hard off the top rope from the get-go, Jessup. I love it. Best defense in the country through three weeks. I think you can absolutely make that argument. Certainly, we have more of a sample size than we did after one week against Arkansas, but we're still only three weeks in. We're not even halfway through the season. I guess we're technically about a third of the way through the season. So we, we, we have some games under our belt here. I don't think we face an elite offense. I think that's something that has to be said here. We're obviously going to have the biggest test to date against Alabama this weekend. And we've got Florida in a couple weeks. That's also going to be another test. Uh, they have their defensive issues. Yeah, they do. We know that. A&M really exploited that over the weekend. But the Gators still, I mean, I hate to say it, they still do have a really good offense. They have a lot of playmakers out wide for Kyle Trask to distribute the ball to. They're still really good. So we do have a lot of tests coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I guess the next month, we have two of the best offenses in the country, at least statistically right now, with Alabama and Florida on the schedule. So it's going to pick up here in a hurry. But all we can do is play the teams that are put out there in front of us, right? And so far, we have played as well as I think any defense in the country. I firmly believe that. Right now, if you look, just look at the numbers. I mean, numbers don't tell you the whole story, but it's a really good starting point, right? They can certainly give you some context. Right now, we are second in the country in total defense, giving up 236 yards a game. The only reason we're not number one is because Houston has only played one game, and that one game was against Tulane. So Houston's number one right now. That will not last. We are essentially, as far as I'm concerned, we are the number one defense in the country in terms of total defense and total yards allowed. We're also number two in yards per play allowed, again, behind Houston because they've only played one game, giving them only 3.7 yards per play. We are the number one rush defense in America. That, and guys, that's nothing new. Going back to last year, we just had this dominant front right now. The defensive line, which was really good last year, is even deeper and even better than what it was last year. Jordan Davis was really good for us, but he has taken another massive step forward. He's really gotten his weight under control, and that guy's just a monster right now. Devontae Wyatt's taking a step forward, throwing guys like Jalen Carter. I mean, we really are humming at a high velocity on that defensive line. And the linebackers are playing at a really high level as well, especially Monty Rice. So that front seven is really nasty right now, and the numbers back that up. We're also number one in yards per rush allowed, only allowing 1.49 yards per rush. And as I mentioned on the recap show, guys, it bears mentioning one more time. We just got to say this. That vaunted Tennessee offensive line, wow, yeah. Well, we held them to minus one yards rushing. So right now, against the run, we are as good as it gets. And we're also, like, we're inside the top 15 in sacks right now. And I know there's not as many teams playing right now, but for us to be in the, like sniffing the top 15 in sacks under Kirby Smart, like that's some serious progress. We had five sacks against Tennessee and that, again, that vaunted Tennessee offensive line on Saturday. So we're certainly making progress there in our havoc rate. We're also number one in the S&P Plus, which is the Bill Connolly stat that he likes to put out there. And get this, guys, let's go a little deeper on the S&P Plus statistic. The gap between our defense at number one in the S&P Plus and number two, which is, which is absurdly Ohio State right now, considering they haven't played yet, but Connolly defends it as essentially saying it's a, it's a predictive statistic and it's about your resume. And even though they haven't played, they're still predicted to be very good, whatever. But the gap between our defense and number two is the same size as the gap between the number two defense in the S&P Plus and number 33. That's crazy. Uh, we're fifth in scoring defense right now, but we're first in the SEC by a 10-point margin. But it's th there are some potential 
weaknesses. And I don't know if weakness is the right word. It's a little strong, but there are some areas of concern. I talked about this before the season and also after the Arkansas game. We, we are a good pass defense, but we're not elite there right now. We saw it firsthand on Saturday against Tennessee, which has, you know, Guarantano's fine. He's good. He's solid. Josh Palmer is a good number one wide receiver for them. But for them to hit two deep balls on us, one of them against Tyson Kim, although that was just a perfectly thrown ball, perfectly executed. Uh, we've seen some teams have more success against us through the air than they have on the ground. And it kind of makes sense, right? The teams are not able to run at all. Tennessee basically abandoned that. So they're going to throw the ball more on us. And so by virtue of that, we're going to give up more yards throwing the ball than we are rushing the ball because teams just give up. They don't, don't even try to run the ball against us for the most part. So there's just going to be more opportunities for teams to rack up yards through the air. But still, that is an area we need to continue to improve. And I, and I think that we will, but we've got to get better there. But if you look at this defense, I think you can make that argument. The numbers back it up and then the eye test backs it up too. We are as fast, as powerful as any defense in the country. We're also, I would certainly agree with you and say that we are a deep football team. I think we are as deep defensively as any team in America. And I think that's a big deal for us is we're allowed to, we're able to just roll guys in and out and we stay fresh. Guys aren't tired. You get in the second half and that is a big time advantage, especially when you're playing in these months early in the season. I know we started a little bit late, but still early in the season when the weather's a little hotter at times, that can really play a big role in second halves. And on top of all that, it's not just the players themselves. We are extraordinarily well coached defensively. We all know what Kirby Smart can do from a defensive play calling standpoint. He's not technically calling the plays. We all know he's heavily involved though, but his pedigree speaks for itself. But Dan Lanning is a rising superstar, guys. Like this guy, it sucks, but I'm afraid that he's, it's great for him. It's going to suck for us, but I'm afraid he's going to get a head coaching job here sooner rather than later. I hope he sticks around like Kirby did Alabama for years and waits for the right opportunity. I certainly hope that's the case because I think the world of him, what he's doing with, with all the pressures, the simulated pressures, bringing guys from different angles, I mean, just getting different guys on the field, getting the matchups that, that are favorable for us. I love everything this guy is doing. The guys play for him. He's an outstanding recruiter. I mean, this guy is, again, a rising superstar in this profession if he's not already there. I think people around the country, if they don't know his name by now, they're going to learn it real quick because this guy is just getting the job done. There's no doubt there. But Jessup, I think you make a, a great point there, man. And I think right now I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you. This is the best defense in the country. We'll see you on Saturday when you have the number one S&P plus defense going up against the number one S&P plus offense, Georgia versus Alabama. What's going to win out in 2020? Is it the number one defense or the number one offense? And I know we are all anxious to find out. We'll certainly be talking more about that the rest of this week. All right. I think everybody is thinking about the same topic after this last game. So among the listeners, they wanted to find out more about the running back position. We did get a lot of questions about that, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, and in particular, which running back should be getting more carries. So Justin wrote in that he thinks Zeus is lacking vision in this past game specifically. He doesn't think he should be replaced, but maybe split more carries with McIntosh in the future. And then Donovan asks if McIntosh should take over as the lead back. Interesting. And then Allen mentioned that Kendall Milton looked really good except for that fumble. And it seems like he has good vision, patience, and lateral agility. So how do we keep him off the field going forward? These are all great questions. And look, I know right now it's popular after Saturday's game to kind of beat up on Zeus a little bit. I did get a lot of questions, a lot of comments about that. And I get where everyone's coming from. I don't completely disagree with you. But I still think Zamir White is a really good back. I think the vision questions are fair to a point. And I mentioned that last year, but I'm just not ready to say that the vision issues, if you even want to call it vision issues, I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. I certainly don't think it's irredeemably bad. I don't think this guy 
is in a situation where he can't improve that that part of his game. And again, I did notice at times last year, but I kind of chalked that up to Russ, the fact that he missed essentially a full year of football with coming off two knee injuries and just didn't really have the reps to go in there and, and, and really just sharpen his tools as a running back. And, and the vision part, like some of it's natural, absolutely. But I think that's something that can be learned as well through film study. I think that's something that guys can improve on. I do think a lot of it is natural. I will say that. But I also think it's a skill that can be improved and can be learned. And I know people are really upset right now. I think the impetus for this is the run at the one-yard line against Tennessee, where like if if you take the still photo look at it, it appears as though he could have gotten around the edge, but he kind of just puts his head down and tries to just run up the gut. And I, I understand the frustration with that because we did see that a lot from Zeus last year where he would get the football, but he was kind of just like a battering ram where he didn't really showcase the greatest vision in the world. He, he really would at times try to put that head down and just try to plow ahead for whatever yards he could get because he is a big physical back. When he strikes a strong dude, we know that. That's a big part of his game. But I would caution you and say, let's not allow that one particular play, as egregious as it may have been on that play. I, I'm, I'm willing to allow that. I, I'm willing to admit that. But let's not allow that one play define who Zeus is as a running back. And again, I'm not saying that everyone's doing that because I, I do think there were some legitimate concerns about that going back to last year. But I've also seen him find some good holes as well this year that maybe weren't there immediately. Has he hit every single one that was there? No, he has not. But it's not like he has, he has not hit any of them. So by virtue of the fact that I have seen him hit some good holes, I have seen him make some nice cutback runs, I know the guy can do it. I know that he, he can see the field. I know he can see the holes open up. He just needs to do a better job more consistently of doing that. And I do think he falls in the trap at times of just kind of putting that head down. When you put your head down, you're not going to see the field. You need to keep your eyes up, keep your head up. And that's just something that, that, that he needs to continue to work on. That's something that can easily be coached up. That is a fixable issue. So like when he keeps his eyes up and, and he's looking ahead, he sees the holes. His vision's fine. It's just a matter of are you consistently keeping your head up? And guys, look, I don't know if any of you ever played running back. It's been a long time since I played running back. I didn't play that in high school. But going back to even Little League, you know, when you're in like those situations where it's kind of a scrum and you're just trying to get one yard in a, a short yard situation, you kind of have the tendency kind of just to put your head down and, and lower your shoulder. Because like, the idea is like lower your shoulder, right? That's what your coaches will always tell you. And when you do that, a lot of times the head just naturally comes down. So I think that's something that Zeus is working on right now. When he's just trying to get a tough yard, he does kind of put his head down along with his shoulder. And I think that does hurt his vision to a degree. But again, I don't think that defines who Zeus is. And I don't think it's something that cannot be fixed. I still think he has a lot of tools to work with. We know what kind of power he has. I really like what I've seen from coming back the, two years now removed from the injury where you see more lateral agility, you see more more burst, more suddenness in his game that I didn't see from him last year. So I think he has improved in a lot of areas. And it's just another area that he still needs to continue to improve. And he's still a young back, guys. I know he's in his third year in college, but I mean, this is the first time that he's getting the opportunity to be a feature back, to get all those reps, not just in games, but in practice as well. I mean, last year he was the number three guy. He wasn't getting a ton of reps in practice with the number ones, but now he's getting those reps. So I think if we just give give him some time, have a little bit of patience with him. I know that's tough. And I think I think what's hurting Zeus also in the eyes of some fans is that it's the expectations game. When this guy comes out of high school as the number one ranked running back and had all these high expectations for him, and then he doesn't immediately deliver on those expectations when he's the feature guy, I think that breeds some frustration and it kind of magnifies some of the deficiencies in his game. And 
I think we just need to also look at what this guy does well because he's doing a lot of really good things right now. Now, I would like to see him break some more explosive runs. I do think keeping your head up more consistently will help with that. I think he has the ability to do that. We just need to see him do it. And of course, the offensive line has to help him too. And, and when you're outnumbered in the box consistently, now, Tennessee did not number us as much in the box as maybe Arkansas and Auburn did. That's just kind of how Tennessee play. They want to keep that split safety look, those two, those two safeties deep with a, with a split safety look. But when we're facing seven, eight-man boxes where we are outnumbered, if we only have six guys to block for him, it's going to be tough to find any room. Like it, There aren't, just aren't many holes in those scenarios when they have a plus one or plus two scenario at times. So let's be fair there as well. But all right, so let's let's talk about Kenny McIntosh, though. Here's what I would say about Kenny McIntosh. I think it, I think you can make a strong argument after three games that he might be the most complete back on the team. I'm not I, I, I'm not I don't know if I'm ready to say the best back, but I think he does a lot of things really well. Now is he elite at any one of those things? I don't know that I would say yes, but he's really good at a lot of different things. He's got really good vision. He has very good lateral agility, really good footwork, very quick feet for a guy his size. He runs with power, maybe not as, as powerful as Zeus, but he also runs with a good amount of power as well. He'll get behind those shoulder pads. And I've been really impressed with his speed this year. I, 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 don't, I didn't see that burst from him last year in limited touches, but now that we've seen more of him, especially on kickoffs, I mean, he's flashing to me on those kickoffs when he gets a chance to just get a, a run and go there, head start, and just take off. He looks like a really good athlete. And I also like what he's doing on the backfield in the passing game. There was a, a, a play where we were trying to, trying to take a shot to him up the seam early in the first quarter against Tennessee. He took a shot there, didn't, didn't make the catch, but he also had a nice reception later in that game as well. I think he's a guy that, along with James Cook, I know Cook gets a lot of the talk about him being a, a receiver on the backfield, and he certainly is. But I think Kenny McIntosh can serve in that role as well. Honestly, I think all of our backs are good receivers on the backfield, but I really like what I've seen from Kenny McIntosh in that regard as well through a couple games this season. So he's the guy, honestly, I'm looking at potentially getting more touches. I think he's earning more touches right now the way that he's running. I also like his balance as well. This guy, I think he's the real deal. I mean, he wasn't necessarily an underrated recruit, but he wasn't the highest rated recruit that we've ever had. And so I think, and I know a lot of people look at that, but I think right now the way they're performing, Kenny McIntosh deserves more carries. The question just becomes like, who does he take those carries from? Because as Alan mentions, Kendall Milton is looking really good too. And I think he's earning more carries. So if both McIntosh and Milton are earning more carries and Zeus is still playing pretty well. I know he only had 50 yards on 22 carries against Tennessee and, and that's not going to get the job done. But again, I don't know if that was all on him. The offensive line plays a big role in that as well. But like, do, you, do you start taking touches away from Zeus? Maybe you do. I don't know. And, and how do you distribute those between McIntosh and Milton if they both are earning more carries? I, I'm glad I don't have to answer those questions. But I do think Milton is looking really good. I agree, Alan. Uh, I love his vision. His patience has been really impressive. And so is Kenny McIntosh. His patience as a running back is really impressive. Both those guys, McIntosh and Milton. Uh, Milton's also got really good lateral agility as well. And just he's bouncing off people. He, and I, I said this earlier in the week. He kind of has that Nick Chubb-esque vibe to him when I watch him play. He's not a, a spitting image or a carbon copy of Nick Chubb. It's the way he bounces off guys, kind of like a pinball machine. You just love to see that. And and he just you can tell this guy just wants to be good. He's going through and he's trying to earn carries. And to do that, he's just running his heart out right now. So I really like what I've seen from him. I also think he can be a weapon on the backfield in the past game as well. It's just, it's, it's a tough call right now. I, I still think Zeus, I'm not going to give up on him right now. I still think he should be the guy to walk out there with the one and get the majority of the carries. But I do think McIntosh and Milton should probably start to eat into some of those carries as well. And we'll see what happens when James Cook gets back as well from his injury. I think he's got a different role in the team, but he's going to get his fair share of touches too. But it's a really good problem to have. We have a, a number of really good backs. And the way the SEC is, guys, as physical as this league is, 
Somebody's going to get dinged up at, at some point. So it's a really good problem to have with all those guys that are able to contribute for us at the running back spot. And next up, what I have personally been most pleasantly surprised with is special teams. Kenny McIntosh and Kiaris Jackson in the return game. Jake Camarda has been excellent. And to this point, Pod Lesney has been surprisingly good as our kicker. So Jamie wants to know, how impressed are you with special teams play? Honestly, I'm maybe I shouldn't be, but I am kind of blown away by how good our special teams has been through three weeks. And I know after week one, you could chalk up and say, oh, it's a really small sample size, as I said ad nauseum that week, right? It was the theme of week one. But now it's not so small of a sample size. We've got three weeks under our belt. It's not a full season. It's not half a season, but it's three games. And I think right now we can say our special teams is performing at an elite level right now in really all phases of the game. Now, I asked Kirby Smart, and he'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of area to improve. And I'm sure that's the case. These guys break down the tape. They see more than we see. They know exactly what they're looking at. They spend all day, their entire lives on this stuff. I get it. But right now, I think our special teams play has been unbelievably good. You mentioned Jake Camarda, Charlie. I mean, this guy has been outstanding. A guy that's been so up and down in his career at this point. We've seen him do it at times in flashes, but he's just been so inconsistent. But right now, he leads the NCAA in punting it with over 51 yards per punt. And honestly, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I've just lost track of how many times he has gotten a ball inside the 10-yard line. I mean, the Arkansas game, it would just seem like every time the guy was punting the ball, which seemed like every single drive in the first half, he was knocking him back inside the 10-yard line. I mean, he's just been outstanding. He's been an absolute stud for us, a weapon for us, as the punter. Jerry Podlesny, you mentioned as well, Charlie. This guy is blowing me away too. And I know we got a big game on the road here. He hasn't been put in a tough spot like that with a game on the line. And maybe that happens this week. I don't know. But his leg is what has impressed me. I wasn't sure that he would have that kind of range as a field goal kicker, but he does. I mean, he's knocking him dead from 50 plus. And he's been really accurate as well. Now kickoffs, I would like to see him maybe get it in the end zone a little bit more consistently, but it's tough to know what is like a called play, like when he is and is not being asked to kind of sky kick the ball and kick it up short of the end zone, allow our our kickoff coverage team to get down there and make a play inside the 20-yard line. So it's just tough to know when he's being asked to do that when he's not. Because Rodrigo Blankenship was asked to do that quite a bit last year, even though he could kick the ball out of the end zone really any time he wanted by the time he was done. So I don't know if we're asking him to do that at times. I would love for one of the beat writers to ask Kirby that at one of the press conferences. We've done the pass with Rodrigo, so it certainly wouldn't shock me. And honestly, I, I expect that's probably what we're doing when he's not kicking, kicking it out of the end zone because the guy seems to have a really good leg. But that's been awesome. Our return game, Charlie, you mentioned, has been incredible, whether it's Kyrus Jackson returning punts like we saw against Arkansas. Kenny McIntosh seems like every time a guy touches the ball in a kickoff return that he is a threat to break it. I thought he almost broke that one against Tennessee. He was, he was a block or two away, a man or two away from breaking that one. He was, he's feeling it right now. And the coverage units, the pump coverage unit, the kickoff coverage unit, they're playing at a really high level. I just love what we've done. Scott Cochran deserves a lot of credit, but it's a team effort, as Kirby will tell you. But one of the things I love about what we've done with special teams, and not every country does this. Some teams do, but not every team does. But we make this a priority. Look at our special teams units, guys, not just the return. Look at the guys on the punt return team. Look at the guys on the punt cover team, the kickoff cover team. You are seeing a number of starters and big-time contributors that are out there on these units, all right? those I mean, it was Zamir White who blocked the punt against Arkansas. We have put an emphasis on this, and it's a cultural thing that we are building right now, that special teams matter, and guys are, gonna, are competing, trying to get on those special teams units, and I love that. I eat that stuff up because special teams is the loss aspect of college football, right? It's, it's the loss phase of the game that no one really wants to pay attention to, but if you really do it well, it can absolutely be the difference in the game, especially when two teams are really evenly matched. Like, I don't know, maybe 
Georgia and Alabama might be this week. It could really be the difference. And I love what we're doing right now. And we just got to certainly keep that moving through the rest of the schedule. All right. Well, through three games, Kiaris Jackson has 19 catches and exactly 300 yards receiving. That's 213 more yards than George Pickens right now. Who would have thought that would Coming happen? Coming this season, I would never predict I will say, our man Cliff. I don't know if Cliff was on Kiaris being the number one receiver in terms of receiving yards through three games, but he definitely pointed him out as a guy that was going to have a breakout year. So kudos to Cliff on that one. All right, so Alexander wants to know, is Kiaris Jackson our number one receiver right now? Or now, in general? Well, I mean, if you look at it from a yardage standpoint, you would say yes, but... I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't think, as good as Kiaris is, and, and as many places he's making for us right now, he's been outstanding for us. And I'm so happy for the guy. He's a leader on this team. He works so hard. Just a hard-nosed Peach County prospect. That's what they produce in Peach County. They, they produce guys like Kiaris Jackson. And he's playing well, really well. And he, just, he deserves everything that he's getting right now, all the recognition that he's getting. But I still don't think he would be making the waves that he is right now and making as many plays as he is if it was not for the presence of George Pickens. Teams are simply having to pay attention to what George is doing. They're coming into the game. I mean, that's what Arkansas did. They came into the game, and, and so did Auburn. And they said, all right, well, you know what? We know George Pickens is really, really good, and we are not going to let him beat us. So what, what they're looking at is, all right, well, who outside of George Pickens is going to be a major threat for this Georgia offense? And if you didn't really know who Kiaris Jackson was coming the season, which a lot of teams didn't because he wasn't, he wasn't playing like this last year, then it just makes sense. Yeah, you know what? We're going to take away Pickens, and we don't think that they have anyone else that can beat us. Well, right now, Kiaris Jackson is making them pay for that. He's getting a lot of looks with split safety coverages, with him trying to keep a safety over the top to cover Pickens on his side of the field, which allows the middle of the field to be open. We're seeing a lot of uh, middle of the field open defenses right now, and he's taking clear advantage of that. He's a mismatch problem for any linebackers, any star defenders, any safeties. He's a problem for them. They're trying to defend him one-on-one right now because of the presence of George Pickens. So you got to put that into, into context. That certainly is helping him. But the fact is, Kiers is making plays when they're out there to be made. He's making 50-50 ball catches. He's making tough contested catches where he's getting hit as soon as the ball hits his hands and he's still bringing the ball in. The guy's playing really, really well right now. He's, he's really learned how to sit down in zones and find that open space. So I, I love the guy. I love what he's doing. But I still think George Pickens is the best receiver on the team, even though, even though the numbers might not say it right now. Eventually... What's going to have to happen is some of these defenses are going to have to over, they're going to have to compensate for Kiaris Jackson. They're going to have to try to do some things to take away Kiaris and not leave the middle of the field open like that, and that could potentially open up things for Pickens. So right now, like when you have a guy playing as well as, as Kiaris is, and you also have what we have in George Pickens, it makes it really tough for defenses. They have to pick their poison, and this is what we did not have last year. We did not have two guys that were ready at the same time which made it really difficult for us to do anything in the passing game. Well, right now, we're able to, to throw the ball with with a pretty good amount of efficiency right now because Kiaris Jackson is doing a lot of work in the middle of the field and Pickens is commanding all that attention outside at that exposition. But yeah, I still would say George Pickens is the best receiver on the team, but Kiaris is, is really making the most of the opportunities that he's being given right now by virtue of how teams are defending us with Pickens out wide. Okay. Well, next, Josh wants to know how we should defend Bama's wide receivers he likes Stokes opposite of Campbell, and he knows that Daniels rotates in, but he feels more comfortable with Stokes. What's your opinion? Yeah, Josh, great point, man. Uh, it's a great point here. And we kind of touched on this a little bit in the Tennessee recap show, but right now DJ Daniels is not, in my opinion, not playing at as high of a level as he was last year. He was really good for us down the stretch last year. So I know the guy can do it. He's the same player. I don't know what the issue is right now. And maybe I'm overreacting to it because we haven't seen a ton of him. He's rotating in and out. 
But there were a couple of plays against Auburn where he was beat. He was beat deep, and he got lucky that the passes were not complete because those are going to be big-time gains and potentially even touchdowns. So I was slightly concerned after seeing that. And then what do we see against Tennessee? Well, he gives up a, a big touchdown pass. And I know that, that Campbell did as well, but Campbell was in much better position on the touchdown pass that he gave up. And that was just an outstanding throw, outstanding catch. Sometimes the other team just makes a play and they made a play there. Daniels on his touchdown, he was slight, he was out of position, right? He was he was a little overextended. He was a little ahead of the receiver. You would like to see him be a little bit more in phase there. I, I don't think that he's a lost cause at all, kind of like Zeus. Not at all. I'm not giving up on DJ Daniels because I saw what he was able to do last year. He's got really good ball skills. He played at a really high level for us the second half of last year. But right now, Tyson Campbell, in my opinion, is is playing at a really high level. I think he's our best corner. And I do probably trust Eric Stokes a little bit more than I trust DJ Daniel right now. But it's interesting because it was kind of the reverse for me last year. I actually trusted Daniel a little bit more down the stretch than I did Stokes last year. But Campbell just wasn't ready coming back off that injury to really contribute at a high level at that point. But now that he's ready to play like he's playing, I've kind of flipped my story. I actually think I'm, I'm a little bit more confident with Stokes than I am with DJ Daniel right now. But I think Daniel is going to continue to work, and I think he's going to continue to get reps. But if he keeps giving up some big plays, like if he gets torched against Alabama, which, I mean, if you've seen how he's played the past two weeks, it's certainly possible, then he might find reps a little bit harder to come by moving forward. All right. Well, if you haven't heard, we have a pretty important game this week. Huh? And I think a few people may be watching on Saturday night. So... We've already gotten a lot of questions about that game, and I know that, Tyler, you, and maybe Curtis will be breaking down Bama later on this week in a lot of detail. Definitely happening. But the rest of our questions focus on the big game in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night, prime time slot. So first up, Jeff wants to know if if there are any particular matchups that we can exploit on offense and defense. He thinks we match up pretty well with Bama, but where can we exploit them to win? That is the question of the week, Jeff. That is that is the question. We've got to find a way to manufacture some things offensively. We're not playing at an extraordinarily high level. Our efficiency hasn't been great offensively. And a lot of that has to do with penalties and things like that. We're just we're not a well-oiled machine. That's the phrase I keep using it because that's just... That's kind of where we are. We're, we're just not there yet offensively, but we're going to have to find a way. Todd Munkin's going to have to earn his money in this game. because he, he, Historically, he's done a great job finding matchups and featuring his best playmakers, and he's going to have to do that in a big way on Saturday against Alabama if we're going to find a way to win that game. So probably, I mean, as good as our defense is, Alabama's going to score some points, and we're going to have to find a way to score enough to beat them as well. So looking at this Alabama defense, and I've been deep into film study, the really going back to last week, actually, I was trying to look ahead and start preparing for this game a little bit because I knew there'd be a lot of attention on this game. You guys had a lot of would have a lot of questions about it. So I've been working on it a little bit. And the number one guy that I'm looking at right now as a player on this Alabama defense that I think that we can really take advantage of and exploit if you look at how he's playing right now and how we are playing right now and who's making plays for this offense, it's Malachi Moore in the slot as their star defender. He's a true freshman. I'm very interested to see how they play us in the secondary. Is Nick Saban and, and Pete Golding, are they going to trust Sertan to take George Pickens one-on-one in this matchup since he hasn't been as effective from like a yardage production standpoint this year? I think they might because I think they have more faith in Sertan than they do in Malachi Moore right now as a true freshman in that spot, especially if you consider how Kiaris Jackson has been making teams pay for doubling Pickens with those split safety looks. I think 
that Saban might try to go one-on-one to open the game with Sertan to see what he can get away with there. And let's go back to what Saban likes to do traditionally. Even Kirby Smart back in, in, during his Alabama days, they like that one-on-one press man coverage to be able to leave your, your, leave your top cornerbacks on an island. Who cares who the receiver is? And I think they think Sertan, I know they think Sertan is their top cornerback and they think he's one of the best in the league. And he's a really good cornerback. I don't know if he's, I don't know if I would call him like super elite yet. He's really, really good. So I think they might actually try to do that. I just think that the way they're going to look at this matchup is that maybe Malachi Moore needs more help against Kiaris Jackson than Sertan is going to need against George Pickens. And if they do that, I think George Pickens might have his coming out party in this game. And man, it could not come at a better time because I think that he can, I think he can hold his own and actually get the better of Sertan, in my opinion. I mean, as good as Derek Stingley is for LSU and as good as he was last year as a true freshman, when Pickens got in that game, in the SEC title game, the second half last year, he actually held his own against Derek Stingley. And I think Stingley's better than Sertan. So I think Pickens can win that matchup if he gets the one-on-one opportunities. And we really just need to see Todd Muckin find a way to manufacture some plays for Pickens. We've got to find a way to get this guy involved in the offense more than just being a decoy. Because that's kind of what he's been to this point. Now, an effective decoy, sure. But that's kind of been his role. So that's the number one matchup I really like in this game. I'm very interested to see how Saban and Golding come out and try to play our passing game. I think Jordan Battle at safety is another guy that can be beat in the pass game. Now, he's kind of the leader, the quarterback of that defense, but I think it's a liability in pass coverage. Now, he will actually miss the first half of this game because of a targeting penalty against Ole Miss. So that's going to hurt them. But when he gets once he gets in the game, I think he's a guy that we can take advantage of. You have to think that we could probably take advantage of his backup as well, especially considering how effective we've been throwing the ball in the middle of the field against safeties, against linebackers, against those star defenders. And I actually like our Z wide receiver against their other cornerback, Josh Job. We're going to need those guys to grow up this week. We're going to need Jermaine Burton. We started to see signs of him growing up a little bit last week against Tennessee. We're going to need him. We're going to need Marcus Rosemey. We're going to need even Matt Landers. Yes, even Matt Landers, if he gets in there, gets an opportunity. We need those guys to make plays for us because I think they for sure are going to be given some one-on-one opportunities and they've got to make Alabama pay for that. And I think that they can win against Job if they can just know what to do. Just grow up, make the right side adjustments, know what what routes to run against, what coverage. You've got to be able to do those things. I think they're going to have opportunities to make some plays in this game. And that might actually be the difference here. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of things that, that I like about what we can do to this Alabama defense. And I know obviously Ole Miss just gashed them, but we are a very different offense than Ole Miss. There's, you, you got to throw that context in there as well. I know Ole Miss put up over 600 yards against them. I get that. But right now we are not functionally at the level of the Ole Miss offense. We just, we just have to realize that. And the run game, one area I think that we can attack is the edges. I'm really curious to see if that's going to be a big part of the game plan. They lost a, they lost contained a number of times against Ole Miss in that game and gave us some big time runs. Well, the running backs really didn't do anything all that special. It was just based on formation and Alabama was just was misaligned. Uh, Ole Miss a couple times went trips into the boundary and they ran an outside right tackle back to the field and hit some big plays off that. Now, I think we have better running backs than they do. I know Jerry Ely is a good back, but Snoop Connor, yeah, he's fine. He's good. But our, all of our backs, honestly, I think are better than him. So I think we're going to have an opportunity to, to attack the edges in the run game. Their edge defenders are not doing a great job of, of setting the edge. And I think we're going to have some opportunities there to, to finally maybe hit some explosive plays in the run game. All right. Next up, Christopher Christopher says that in the past, we've had a problem running past quarterbacks on blitzes. And he's really, he even says that he's nitpicking here. So I agree. But it's something we've mentioned on the no, show. He's yeah, not wrong. Yeah, it's been mentioned. 
And he says that we've played some pretty elusive quarterbacks, and that's understandable. Is Matt Jones more or less elusive than previous quarterbacks that the dogs have faced? This year? Uh, this year, he's going to be the least elusive quarterback that we've played to this point. The least elusive and the least athletic that we have played. Now, he's not like a statue. Like He can move a little bit. But he's certainly, if you, I, I don't think he's as, as athletic as Jared Guarantano. I think Felipe Franks is more athletic than him. So yeah, I think he's the least elusive and least athletic of the guys that we have played to this point at the quarterback position. But here's the thing. I know that makes it really tempting to want to bring pressure and get after him. But this dude is really good against the blitz. His numbers are outstanding against the blitz. Right now, according to Pro Football Focus, he's grading out at a 92 this year when blitzed. That is elite. And that doesn't surprise me. A guy like him that's not super athletic, it's kind of like Jay Fromm. Now, he's better than Fromm, but in some ways, there's some similarities in that. A guy like that, when you're not super athletic, the way you get on the field, the way that you win a job is by understanding what defenses are trying to do to you and having answers to whatever it is they try to bring your way. And you don't panic when they blitz as you know you know where to go with the football. And that Jake Fromm really excelled at that. Say what you want about Fromm. He was really, really good. I think that's one of the big reasons that he was so successful carving up Florida every time he played them is because Grantham can't help himself. Todd Grantham is just going to bring the blitz no matter what. Like, so help him God, he's bringing the blitz. And Jake Fromm ate them alive with that because he knew exactly where to go with the football. He had answers to what they were trying to do from a, from a pressure standpoint. He could see where the pressures were coming pre-snap. He knew where to go with the ball post-snap. And Mac Jones is very similar in that regard. So I don't think bringing more than four is the answer here against Mac Jones because he has shown the ability to carve teams up. Now, are we going to get more exotic and more aggressive than some other teams? Maybe. But here's the thing. He's been really good when he's when he's been blitzed. When te- and when I define blitz as bringing more than four guys, okay, if you're bringing five or six guys. But when he's been pressured without a blitz, so when teams have been able to pressure him with only a four or three-man rush, his grade has dropped pretty dramatically, almost 20 points. Only a 73.7 when he's pressured without the blitz. So what that tells me is we need to find a way to get after him without bringing more than four guys. And you know what? The thing is, guys, I've mentioned several times on this show, breaking this down, we do as good of a job as anyone in America of getting pressure with only four guys without blitzing. Our simulated pressure package is as good as it gets. We might show that we're bringing six or seven guys, but certain guys drop back into coverage and other guys come. We had a play against Tennessee and we do a really good job. And I saw it coming a mile away because I just watch this play all the time, right? And I break down the tape. But I want to say it was in the second half, I remember correctly. But we were overloading to the left side of the line. We had four or five guys the left side of the line. And so what that does is it forced Tennessee to slide their their protection to the right to pick up where they thought the pressure was coming, where we were simulating that the pressure was going to come from, which was off their, actually it was their right side, so their right tackle. And when, when they slid the pressure, what we did is we brought Tyson Campbell on a cornerback blitz from the boundary. And when he's coming from the boundary, which is the opposite side on that particular play from the left side, there was no one there because they had already slid their protection to the right to pick up where they thought that simulated pressure was going to come from. But what we did the snap was we dropped those guys back into coverage and we sent Campbell. And he had a free run and it forced an incompletion there. It's things like that that we do a really good job of. We're only bringing four guys the vast majority of the time. The opposing offense just has no idea who is coming when and where they're coming from. They just don't know. We have a lot of depth to our defense because we don't have as many guys with their hands down the dirt. If you have your hands down the dirt, they know you're probably coming more often than not. When you have all these guys standing up, you got Tyreek Stevenson and Mark Webb, the money spot. You've got Nicobe Dean, you got Adam Anderson, you got Azizo Jalari. 
you got all these guys standing up. They don't know who's coming and who's not. And we, we do a great job of switching it up and keeping offenses off balance. So I think that is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to be really, really good with our simulated pressures and get after them with four guys and still be able to play coverage behind that, obviously with the elite receivers that they have. All right, next up, Wesley asks, do you see Channing Tindall or Adam Anderson getting more reps after their performance this past weekend? I, I would love to see that. I just... I, okay, here's the thing with Adam Anderson. Adam Anderson has a defined role in this team. He is a third down staple. I don't think you're going to see him getting more reps. I don't think he's going to play much on first and second down on standard downs because he's just not big enough to consistently set the edge. I, not yet. Now, I hope that he continues to grow and add weight to his frame so next year he can maybe be the guy as a true three down outside linebacker, kind of like Azizo Jolari is right now. But Anderson's a different kind of guy. He's not like Aziz. He's certainly more athletic. He moves better. And he's a guy that's so versatile that, yeah, we can line him up the line of scrimmage with his hand in the dirt and match him up against Cade Mays and just watch him destroy Cade Mays, flat embarrass Cade Mays and force the fumble. Yeah, we, we, can, we can have him do that, but we can also have him drop into coverage. We can have him spy a quarterback. We have this guy moving all over the field doing so many different things. And it's so tough to account for a guy like that when on any given third down situation, we could have him doing any number of different things. So I think he's just going to continue to be a staple on third downs. So I don't think he's going to get more snaps because that's just what he's doing for us right now. Channing Tindall, he's a guy that maybe could find his way to having a little bit more of a role in the linebacker rotation. If you go back a couple years to 2017, like we would roll with four linebackers. We would rotate guys in and out. And maybe Tyndall can work his way into the rotation as the fourth guy. But right now, it seems pretty clear that we have three guys that we have more confidence in. We have, obviously, Monty Rice, N'Kobe Dean, and Quay Walker. I like Tyndall. That's the thing. Like most teams in the SEC, Channing Tyndall is going to be your starter and inside linebacker. He's a good player. He's athletic. He's fast. He's physical. All of those things. He's got good size. He can play. I just don't know if he's as good as Quay Walker and... Monty Rice and Kobe Dean right now. And that's the thing is like, if you're putting Tyndall in there, then you're taking snaps away from at least one of those guys. So who are you taking snaps away from right now? And I just don't know if I'm willing to take snaps away from some of those guys at this point. Now, if you're playing against some teams that run with a lot of tempo and they're running, you know, 70, 80 plays against you, then maybe you want to give those guys a rest, give them a breather and keep them fresh. He can find his way on the field a little bit more for that reason. But just, I don't know if I see it right now because I think the other guys are playing really well at the same time. Okay, next, Jonathan has a question about going for it on fourth and one. He says, on fourth down on our own side of the field, shouldn't UGA always punt because of the great defense and our punting weapon, Jake Camarda? I think so. And I addressed this a little bit on the recap show, but I'm happy to talk about it a little bit more in depth here. Here's what I would say is, if you're Georgia right now and you have the lead in the second quarter, even if it's only a seven-point lead, but you have the lead in the second quarter against a team that needs you to give them easy scores in order to have a chance to beat you, it's certainly something that we should never, ever do in that situation. It was just flat-out arrogance, to be honest with you. I think Kirby saw that they were able to get a first down in short yards, and he wanted to be able to do it too, kind of like an ego thing. And the thing is, guys, we just aren't good enough along the offensive line right now to be that arrogant. We don't have the offensive line that we've had the past two years. We're not good enough to be that arrogant at this point in time. I just think in that particular situation, the potential benefit of getting that one yard and getting the first down was so heavily outweighed by the potential cost that it was an irrational decision. I think Kirby Smart would want to have that back because like, well, again, like if you get the first down, okay, 
Now it's first and 10 from your own 37. That doesn't set up an imminent score. I think you go for it if it sets up an imminent score, if you're down late in the game, if you're trying to get some momentum, you're trying to get back in the game. But none of those situations were the case on Saturday. We had the lead. It's still early in the game. We were fine. We have a really good defense, have a great punter. Pin them deep. Play defense, force them to punt, get the ball back at the 50-yard line, and start fresh. That that was the play. That was the, the correct decision to make there. And Kirby Smart... I don't think he made the right decision there. And I think he probably knows that. I think he'll go back and kind of evaluate what he did as a coach in that game. I think that's one moving forward that he might call a little bit differently. Okay, next up, Brian says, do you think we should employ some up-tempo schemes this week in practice, citing Ole Miss's success running and throwing from an up-tempo scheme on Saturday? I would certainly like to see some of that because Ole Miss, that tempo they were running with on Saturday had Bama all out of sorts. Bama was consistently getting misaligned, blowing assignments, and the tempo had a lot to do with that. But Ole Miss does that as a rule. That's that's their identity. That is what they do on offense. Now, I'm not saying that we can't go with tempo. I know that we have it in our offense, but we don't do it as consistently. It's not part of our identity right now. So even if we go with tempo, I'm not sure it will be as effective as what Ole Miss was doing. I'm just not sure we would go as fast as Ole Miss. So that's just what they do. They practice that every, almost every rep in practice offensively. And I just, we just don't do that. We'll, we'll practice with some tempo, but just not that consistently. So I don't know if it'll be as effective as what Ole Miss did. But if you, you'd be a fool to watch that Ole Miss-Bama game and not try to incorporate more of that into our game plan. Will it be as effective as, as what Ole Miss was able to do? Probably not, but I still think we can find some some plays to be made there by just I mean all it takes is one misalignment it takes one blown assignment and maybe that wins the game for us so yeah I would absolutely start going a little bit more tempo against Alabama especially if you see what Ole Miss was able to do to them on Saturday okay next up our friend Cliff has a question about Alabama's defense saying that Alabama's defense isn't very good so what are the biggest matchups that UGA should exploit this week if you were Todd Munkin and what level of the defense is most susceptible right now for UGA to attack? Great question. Yeah, so I, I did already kind of address the, the matchup question a little bit earlier, so I don't want to rehash that. But in terms of what level of defense is most susceptible right now for us to attack, I think it's the front seven. And like, when's the last time you're able to say that about an Alabama defense? They've been so good in the front seven for so long, but I do think they've taken a slight step back. They're still really, really good up front. They're just not as good and dominant as Maybe the old school traditional Saban defenses, those traditional front sevens that Alabama had with Kirby Smart as a defensive coordinator. And I know Dylan Moses at linebacker coming up coming back off the ACL injury. Everybody was really excited in, in Elephant Land to get him back because they thought he was gonna be the difference maker for a defense that really, that really did take a step back last year. But I mean, he's not playing like it right now. And he's a really good athlete. I know he's a big five-star recruit that everyone was really high on, just like all those five-star offensive linemen that Tennessee's got, right? Well, if you look at the production, Dylan Moses is not playing at a high level right now. It's not saying that he's incapable of playing at a high level because he has played at a high level before in his career. There's still a little bit of rust coming off that injury, guys. Right now, according to Pro Football Focus, he's only grading out on the year with a 52.6. And he's really athletic. He moves really well. But he can get washed away in traffic. If you can get a body on him, if you can have some pulling guards that get in his face, he does have a tough time getting off those blocks and disengaging. I think that's something that we need to incorporate into our run game. We've seen it. We're, we're pulling all sorts of different people. We're, pull, we're pulling guards, tackles. I've even seen this pull centers. I would incorporate a lot of that into this game plan in some ISO type plays to get bodies in front of Dylan Moses because he struggles to get off those blocks consistently. Christian Harris is running mate this year. was a true freshman last year, really struggled last year. And he's He's improved a little bit this year, but he's still not elite either. He's only grading out a 54.9 right now. 
He's similar to Moses in a lot of ways, really good athlete, actually a converted safety, moves really well, but he also struggles to get off blocks. And I think part of that is the fact that he has not played linebacker for a long time. This is his second year playing inside linebacker, played safety in high school, and he's still very much learning that position. And it, getting off blocks is not something that you've done throughout your life. That is something that, you, that takes some time to learn, like operating in the traffic there in the trenches. And Christian Harris just hasn't quite mastered that yet. So I think we can actually have some success running against those inside linebackers. And look, their defensive line is good. They have some good players, but I just don't think they have that dominant game wrecking type defensive lineman right now. LeBron Ray's playing well for them. He's grading out at 74.2 right now. Christian Barmore is a guy that I think is probably the most talented guy on that defensive front, but I just don't know that, that he's dynamic like some of the guys I've had in the past, like a Jonathan Allen or an Ashawn Robinson or a Quinnen Williams even. I don't think he's that level guy yet. Maybe he, come, he becomes that guy, but I don't think he's played like that to this point. The guys playing on the edges for them, Justin McBoyby, Christopher Allen as their top pass rusher, those guys are really not doing a great job setting, setting the edge against the run right now. And that's one of the reasons I think we're going to have some success running on the edges against this Alabama team. I actually, even though our offensive line is not playing particularly well, it's, it reminds me a little bit of that Tennessee matchup where I told you guys I get worse. I feel like it might be a, a push like a stalemate. Yeah, we're not playing all that well up front on the offensive line, but I'm not sure Alabama is equipped to really exploit that to a high degree in this matchup. I do think they they have a, a better defensive front than Tennessee did, and then Tennessee gave us our fair amount of issues. But I, I don't know if they're just going to overwhelm us up front right now. So I think that's an area that we can really, really exploit if our offensive line comes to play and just straightens out some of their issues. Okay. Cliff had another question at, about Havoc Rate. How much has the Havoc Rate increased based on numbers and what you've seen with your own eyes so far this year, um, I guess, compared to last year? Yeah, so the Havoc Rate, unfortunately, right now, from what I was able to find, they haven't actually released those numbers yet. Usually they wait a couple weeks in the season and only three weeks in the year they don't have those numbers updated yet. But just going off the sack numbers, again, we're top 15 in the country. I mean, when's the last time under Kirby Smart that we sniffed the top 15 in sacks? I mean, I honestly don't think that we have a really any point. I, so looking at that, yeah, I, I certainly think that we're doing a better job of getting pressure on quarterbacks. We had over 50 quarterback pressures through the first two weeks of the season. So we are certainly improving there. And again, just watching with your own eyes, like we're getting after quarterbacks. Even when we're not sacking the quarterback, we are a there's a there's so many examples of plays where, as somebody mentioned earlier in the episode, where, where we have pressured the, on the quarterback and we're right there for the sack, but we let him just kind of squirm away and, and get away from us. We got, we got to do a better job of coming after the quarterback and playing with that controlled aggression. There's a fine line there, but it has to be controlled aggression. That's the key because we need to get these guys on the ground. Yes, pressure is great. Affecting the quarterback, that's all great. It's better than not affecting the quarterback. But what's even better is actually getting the guy on the ground. And we did a much better job of that on Saturday against Tennessee, getting five sacks in that game. So I think we've certainly upped our game there. I think we're doing a better job of getting a natural pass rush without having to bring any guys. Like we do a really good job with the simulated pressures on third down, but it was first and second down the past couple of years where we weren't really as effective rushing the passer. But I think guys like Aziz Ojolari, Nolan Smith, even some of the interior guys, uh, Jordan Davis, is, he's getting some push in the interior. Devontae White has always been a really good pass rusher from the interior. Jalen Carter, all those guys are doing a really good job of getting more consistent pressure on the quarterback just with kind of the natural pass rush. So yeah, I think Cliff, absolutely, the Havoc Ray, I, I'm very anxious to see what those numbers actually are when they are released. But I think it's certainly got to be improved this year. Okay. Scott asks, which is the better unit right now, Bama's offense or Georgia's defense? Well... That's a tough question because they're both elite, all right? They are both elite. 
If you look at Alabama's numbers, they're number three right now in total offense nationally. So they're, they're just as good. Like They're so good offensively. They have so many weapons. But here's what I would say. I would actually give our defense the edge. And you can call me a homer if you want, but let me explain why. That Alabama offense is really explosive. And they hit big play after big play after big play. They have so many weapons. But I don't think they are as deep overall on their offense as we are on defense. They don't play as many guys. So when you get late in the game, does that have an impact on who's fresh and who's not? Does that potentially give us an edge against them in the second half if we're within striking distance when we get to that point? And I'd also say this, the quarterback position is so important for an offense. When you're talking about your offensive firepower, like it begins and ends with the quarterback, right? Everything starts there. Now you have to have good receivers. You have to be able to protect the quarterback. I get all that, obviously. You have to have a running game to take some pressure off of him, of course. But the quarterback is the most important position. If you've got a quarterback, you have a chance to be elite. If you don't have the quarterback, then you're not going to be good. That's just that's just the fact of the matter right now in college football. And Mac Jones is playing really well. I, I don't think he gets near as much love as he should. I think he's a really good quarterback. But while I think he's good, my question is, is he truly elite? Is he Tua Tungavailo? Is he that caliber? I know he's a different quarterback, but is he that caliber? I don't know. They haven't played a really good defense this year. Now, he actually did perform pretty well against some good defenses at the end of last year. All ran a really good defense last year. Not really so well, a good defense last year. And he performed well against them. I know he had the two pick sixes, but he played really well in that game despite that. I know that's tough to say. Against Michigan in the bowl game, I thought he also played really well against another really good defense. So he's played some good defenses, but he hasn't done it this year. And I don't think he's played a defense like our defense. And the question still is, is he an elite quarterback? Can he make a defense like us? Can he make us pay for being aggressive? Can he really just pick us apart like maybe a tool was able to at once upon a time in the second half of the um, national championship game? So we'll see. But I think right now we're deeper. I think we have more guys that are rolling in. And uh, with Mac Jones being a good quarterback, a really good quarterback, but maybe not elite, I think I would give our defense an ever so, so slight edge here in that matchup. All right. One more question, and it's just for fun. Um, where we get to point and laugh at Florida because, well... It's Florida, and that's always fun to do. So Georgia CFB wants to talk about how bad Florida's defense is because it's laughable and their fans are going crazy about firing Grantham right now. And Georgia CFB says he can't blame them. So Tyler, what's your take on Florida's defense? I don't know what they're complaining about right now with Todd Grantham. Todd Grantham is what Todd Grantham is. Like This is nothing new for him. This is what he does. But the issue for them right now is... They just went too many recruiting classes missing at the defensive tackle spot. Right now, they just don't have enough guys. They've had some injuries there. They don't really have enough quality defensive linemen to fill a legitimate two deep right now. And that's why a was exploding against them on Saturday. You have, you have a guy like Zachary Carter, who really is more of like a five-tech defensive end kind of guy. He's having to play defensive tackle. He's undersized there. They're having to play like Jeremiah Moon inside at times. I mean, that guy's, he's a buck. Like they're, they're just, they, they just don't have the, the dudes right now up front. And if you have any kind of offensive line, they are just destroying that Florida defensive front because they're just not good. They're not big enough. They're not stout enough. They don't have enough guys right now. So, and you saw in the second half against against AM, 
yeah, those guys are fine, I guess, to be, to be able to play a quarter or two. You get in the second half, they just don't have enough guys. They don't have the depth like we have where you can constantly keep guys fresh. Those guys are playing a ton of snaps. They're already undersized as it is. So you put all that together and you get in the second half, if the if the opposing offense is in the game like AM was, then they can really make you pay late in the game by just leaning on you, just demoralizing you in the run game. That's exactly what AM did. Like I was watching that game closely and I kept saying in the second half, like, if Aiden does anything other than run the football, they've lost their mind. They need to line up and run the football every single step. Now, obviously, it's a little bit of hyperbole, but, like, every time they drop back to throw, I kind of cringe, like, no, what are you doing? You need to run the football because they cannot stop you. And that's the issue right now. They cannot stop anyone. And in the secondary, I told you guys before the season in the in the Florida Scout Indian episode, they're not great back there. This is not DBU right now. Yes, Kair Elam is a borderline elite cornerback, but that's about it right now. Marco Wilson got picked on like crazy by a You can tell Jimbo Fish watched that tape and said, you know what? We're going to pick on that guy. I mean, they went after him play after play after play, and, there's, and their safeties are major liabilities in coverage. Their star position right now is a liability in coverage. That is not DBU. So when you can't stop the run and you're not elite in the secondary, I don't know what the answer is for Florida. I don't know if it gets better for them. I know we're not playing super well right now offensively, but at least we have a little bit of hope. Like we're still trying to figure things out. We have a whole new offense, new system, all that. This is the same system. It's the same guys to them. They're just not very good. I don't know that, that, that they have any answers. Whereas we, I think, actually have a chance to improve a good bit by the time we get to that game. So yes, it's very fun to just point and laugh at Florida because they suck, at least defensively. Offensively, they're still really good, but that defense has some major issues. That was that was a big game for us, guys. Like We need Florida to lose some games. Now, honestly, it's going to come down to Jacksonville anyway. We need to win that game or we're not going to win the East, but it's always good. It's a great day when we can win and Florida loses, so that was definitely a lot of fun. So thanks for pointing that one out at Georgia underscore CFB. Appreciate it. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Thanks for all the questions. I actually think we got through all of them this week, so that's awesome. We didn't do that last week, but I think we were able to get through all of them this week. I tried to be a little more brief in my responses to some of these questions. But thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. We will be back later in the week to break down this full game against Alabama. Curse will be back with me for that one. And then Charlie will wrap things up with me at the end of the week with our picks of the week, which we always have a lot of fun doing. But thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.